For decades, people have been playing the drinking game, never have I ever. If you're not familiar with it, players are supposed to state something they've never done. For example, I might say, never have I ever gone streaking. Then everyone in the group who has gone streaking takes a sip of whatever alcoholic beverage they have on hand. I can do one better right now and say, never have I ever played the game. Maybe it has to do with my personality. I generally like to play it safe. I admire people who can throw all caution to the wind and take huge chances. I just don't know if I could ever do that myself. What happens when a person does take those chances, though? If they're downright reckless, are they setting themselves up for major failure? Probably. Is there a chance for serious negative consequences? Most likely. But there's also the tantalizing possibility of success, of the odds that by taking a major risk, everything will work out in spectacular ways. I'm not one to be that reckless, but that's the advantage of being a writer. I can create characters who are. More than that, I can relish characters who run headlong into a situation and just trust that no matter where they land, it'll be right side up. Hi there, I'm Ekta Garg, a reviewer, editor, author, and dreamer of stories and books, and I'm delighted to present this episode of Biblio Breakdown, a RightsCast Network original program now airing here on my own author website and proudly sponsored by Kill Your Darling's Candle Company. In this episode, we're talking about recklessness in our writing within the context of Enola Holmes and the Black Barouche by Nancy Springer. I'll offer analysis and writing exercises along the way so you can see what this book has done well and put it to practice in your own writing. Let's get started. Most readers have heard of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's famous character, Sherlock Holmes. When the first stories came out in the 1800s, fans the world over couldn't get enough of the dashing, slightly arrogant detective and his sensible sidekick, Dr. Watson. Arthur Conan Doyle got sick of them. At one point, he killed Sherlock Holmes off, thinking fans would let him move on to something else, but there was such a public outcry that he had to bring Holmes back. Doyle set his books in the late 1880s, a time when women were considered insignificant and better left silent. Sherlock Holmes himself remains a bachelor throughout all of his adventures. Maybe he thought a woman would slow him down or distract him from his work. That's exactly why Nancy Springer's young adult novels about Enola Holmes, Sherlock's little sister, are such a delight. Enola knows her older brother's reputation precedes her. She's fully aware that any detective work she does will be seen as amateurish or second rate. But Enola doesn't care because the one thing that might seem like her biggest disadvantage, her gender, is her greatest weapon. And it's because she has this weapon and uses it freely to her brother's dismay that she doesn't mind pursuing cases, even when they're not her cases to begin with. In Enola Holmes and the Black Barouche, Enola is visiting Sherlock one day when a woman comes to the door to beg for Sherlock's help. The woman, Letitia, or Letty Glover, is worried about her twin sister, Felicity. Not long ago, Felicity married the Earl of Dunhenge. For two years, it seemed like everything was fine. Then, out of the blue, the Earl sends a letter that Felicity died after a long illness, and because the illness was so terrible and contagious, she's already been cremated. He very much regrets the shocking news, but there's really nothing for Letty to do now except wish her sister's spirit well. 
Letty, though, is suspicious. She and Felicity corresponded frequently, and Felicity never mentioned any illness. Plus, Felicity is her twin, and the sisters shared a heart-deep connection. Letty is convinced that if Felicity had, in fact, died, she would have felt it somehow. Something in the universe, in her gut, would have alerted her to Felicity leaving this earth. Enola looks at the letter, and she agrees that something seems off about the whole thing. There are basically no details, no doctor's presence, no name for this mysterious disease, not even a time and date of Felicity's supposed death. After spending some time questioning Letty about her brother-in-law's nature and the circumstances around Felicity's marriage to the Earl, Enola's suspicions get stronger. Someone is up to something. She and Sherlock know they have to help Letty figure out what happened to Felicity and why the Earl would lie about Felicity's death. Sherlock, of course, tries to take the case on himself, but Enola steamrolls right over him. Sherlock's a man and will analyze the entire thing with a completely intellectual approach. This is about sisterhood and marriage, and Enola doesn't even ask her brother whether she can join the case. She just tells Letty that she'll get to it right away. Because they're brother and sister, Sherlock and Enola both have the same idea as to how to start working on the case. They'll interview people and do a little recon work. Enola guesses that Sherlock will dress like some day laborer and head down to the pub to see if he can coax gardeners and servants to share some dirt on the Earl. Enola decides to do some interviewing of her own, but first she has to find the right hat to wear. Because Enola is nothing if not fashionable. She doesn't hesitate to jump into territory that her brother, and most men really, would consider a man's world, but she also doesn't want to look shabby while doing it. As Enola tells us over and over again, looking fabulous and using one's keen mind are not mutually exclusive. Of course, if she had a choice, she'd just as soon do away with corsets and all the ridiculous accessories that women's fashion demands of its clients, except the hats. Enola just can't resist a good hat, and a fantastic hat just has to have the right outfit to go with it. So she makes her compromises with herself and succumbs to the pains of her gender's clothing restrictions. Also, from a practical standpoint, the kind of interviewing Enola has in mind looks and sounds suspiciously like gossip. A woman can't gossip if she's dressed like a chambermaid. So she finds the right hat and the right outfit and uses her connections to the Viscount Tewkesbury, Marquess of Baselweather, otherwise known as Tukey, to find out what high society is buzzing about these days. Does Enola usually run in these circles? No, of course not. She's not a simpering, prattling, delicate flower. But none of that matters. It's not about what she is, but what she can become. And Enola has no doubt that with the right hat, those right clothes, and a little amateur acting, she can become anything. Because, as I mentioned before, she's reckless. She believes that nothing can stop her, not society's hierarchy, not her brother's overprotective nature, and certainly not her gender. Time for your first writing exercise. Think of the world your protagonist lives in. What constraints does this person have? What holds them back from the things they really want? I'm not just talking about the plot devices you're using. For this, I'd like you to dig deeper to issues that might make us uncomfortable. Race, gender, social class, What's inherent to your character that makes them, on the surface at least, unable to go after what they want? 
Now, either take a scene from your existing work in progress or make up something new for the purposes of this exercise. This should be a scene where your protagonist needs something outside of their everyday experience. Maybe, like Enola, it's information. Maybe it's an expensive item of clothing or a ticket for transportation. Examine what about your character's personality and their experience prevents them from getting what they want. Make a list if you'd like. It doesn't matter how long or short the list is. The point is to think about all the things holding your protagonist back. Now, pick one of those things holding them back and find a way for that character to break the rules in that area so they can go after what they want. Here's another way to think about this. In the 1920s, the United States passed prohibition laws against alcohol. It was essentially illegal to drink. So people created speakeasies, those secret clubs where you could go to get a cocktail and, often, listen to musicians and singers who weren't allowed in other places. If your character wants something more than anything else they can imagine, how can they be reckless in going after it? How reckless, in fact, can they become? How does that change the trajectory of the story? How will that recklessness get your character into trouble later? What new obstacles will come about because your character lost their head for a minute and ran with abandon into left field? Enola's cavalier attitude comes off as breezy and fun, but she struggles daily with the challenges set for her gender by men. They assume women can't, or even worse, shouldn't be doing certain things. Enola sets out every day to prove them wrong, and it takes up a lot of time and energy. Fortunately for us, her upbeat attitude doesn't let her stay down for long. Enola's gossip gathering is a huge success. She gets information to lead her to the next big piece of the puzzle in Letty's sister Felicity going missing. Everyone knows that the Earl of Dunhench was married before and even had children with his previous wife. Alas, alas, that wife and even the children also died. So sad. I don't know about a conspiracy, but had it been me considering the Earl's marriage proposal, I would have probably said no on the grounds that people find it hard to, I don't know, stay alive around him. Coincidentally, the previous wife also died of a terrible illness and had to be cremated. When Enola hears that, her radar goes up. She decides to visit someone connected to the previous wife's family, a journey that takes her first by train to a village. From there, she plans to hire a cab and driver to her destination. Except there are no cabs and drivers to be had. And the man she asks side-eyes her. He asks her outright why she doesn't have a man with her to help her with all these things. After all, horses and driving and directions, all of that is a man's domain. Everyone knows that any respectable, respectable woman would never travel alone. Forget about doing anything else. Women who travel alone, well, we know what kind of women they are, don't we? Enola just rolls her eyes and ignores his implication of her character. No cabin driver? No problem. She'll just drive herself. All she needs, she says, is a horse. Once again, the man reprimands her with a look. But Enola isn't here to fulfill society's expectations. She's on a case and she needs transportation. So the man lends it to her. It doesn't matter that she's only 15 or that people, men especially, expect her to cower when they call her out for not following the rules of the day. Enola's too busy with the important task at hand. She has to find Letty's sister, and her instincts tell her that time is of the essence. 
She can't stop to explain things to people who look at her and just see a teenager flying solo. Her visit to the village of Three Finches isn't quite what she was hoping for, but Enola isn't deterred. The horse, Jezebel, turns out to be too frisky even for her, and men keep insisting she find a companion or a nanny or a man to travel with. Sherlock shows up in the middle of his own independent investigation, and brother and sister compare notes. Enola is a little frustrated, but she isn't beaten. She decides that if she can't find what she needs in Three Finches or London, she'll have to look for her gift of information straight from the horse's mouth. Well, not Jezebel. That stupid mare threw her. Even Enola knows when to leave well enough alone. No, on a whim, Enola decides to visit the home of the Earl of Dunhench. Why waste time poking around for information when you can go right to the source? As you've probably guessed by now, Enola does not have an invitation. She's never met the Earl, and in theory, it would be great if she didn't meet him now. What Enola needs is evidence of his shadiness. She can't very well get him to just admit that now, can she? But what she can do is visit the premises and poke around. So that's what she does. Enola, being Enola, even manages to talk her way inside the hall, which she describes as something more out of some creepy mystery novel, rather than a grand home of a member of lesser royalty. Once again, she uses her charm and her wit to convince the servants that she's someone who absolutely belongs in the parlor, waiting for vanilla cookies, sandwiches, and tea. By this point, about a third of the way through the book, we already know Enola well enough to know that she'll go to any lengths to right a wrong, even if that means flat-out lying about her association with that high-class society she's dressed for. Then she meets the man of the hour, the Earl of Dunhench himself. Cadogan Burr Rutcliffe II. The Earl is surprised to find this young woman in his home, but he seems appeased by her explanation that she's related to, related to society family or other. The Earl, the Earl invites her to stay for dinner, and the night... The Earl invites her to stay for dinner and the night, because, as Enola explains in a rush, her carriage and driver have left for the day. Cadogan doesn't let this phase him. In fact, Enola almost wonders if she's imagining that glint in his eye when he looks her up and down. He certainly doesn't seem like a man mourning the death of his wife. Still, Enola isn't going to let these things distract her. She's here to investigate the suspicious circumstances around what she's now thinking is a fake death. Even if that means listening to the Earl drone on and on at dinner about how amazing he is and how delighted he is to make her acquaintance. Most characters might have shied away from the thought of the conflict they're trying to resolve, and really, great books start out that way. But Enola doesn't hesitate to march right up to the door, jimmy the lock, and start snooping around, no matter how reckless it might seem. Even someone as resourceful as Enola can't stay completely away from trouble, though. For once, her recklessness has her in way over her head. Enola might be smart, but the Earl has life experience. He knows something is not quite right about this young woman who shut up out of the blue. At the end of dinner, when Enola has said goodnight to everyone, the servants lock her in her room until they can all figure out what to do with her. Let's jump into writing exercise number two. We've talked about a reckless action your character can take, how they can break the routine or even just the monotony of their day by doing something completely unexpected and, well, out of character. Now let's talk about a conflict you've designed for your protagonist. 
It could be a minor one, or it could be at the climax of your story, the big showdown your readers have been anticipating. Look at your manuscript and that conflict. Generally speaking, your protagonist is going to spend part of the story running as far away from that conflict as they can. They don't want to have anything to do with it because conflict can be loud and intimidating. It's always uncomfortable and confronting it usually requires change, which sounds like an awful lot of work. It's much easier just to sit around on a Saturday night eating popcorn and watching a movie or whatever the equivalent of that would be in Enola's time. What if your character went straight to the heart of what's bothering them, though? What would happen then? Write a scene in which your character does just that. Instead of them avoiding the uncomfortable conversation with that coworker or family member, have your protagonist barrel right into it. Instead of them staying in on Saturday night to avoid meeting that certain someone who absolutely will be at that party, have them get all dressed up and make a huge splash when they enter the festivities. Then have them walk up to the person they're supposed to confront and do it right there where everyone can see and hear them. Pushing our characters into tight spaces like these will force them to reveal themselves to us in unbelievable ways. While it might seem like a given that you probably won't keep this scene in your final draft, you can definitely use it to figure out things about your character that maybe you didn't know before. Conflict, among other things, almost always includes dialogue, and when our characters start running their mouths, absolutely anything can happen. As writers, it's our job to witness that anything, record it, and then, then decide how we can best use what we've learned in other scenes or even for possible subplots. Even if you've written a quiet character, someone who doesn't really voice their opinion that much, all characters must have agency. They must be active. For this exercise, just for a few minutes, have them actively seek out something that's at odds with who they are and what they believe early on. Chances are you'll discover something that will add layers to your protagonist, your story, or both. So, Enola has run into a big problem. She essentially broke into the home of the Earl of Dunhenge, where the Earl has decided to imprison her in a room because she was acting so suspicious. Our wonderful teen detective has thrown off her game for a little bit. I mean, she's resourceful, but even Enola can't anticipate everything ahead of time. Then she makes two decisions. The first is that she should use the chance to snoop through the items in the room where she's been locked. The second is that if she was able to break herself into Dunhenge Hall, she should be able to break herself out of it again. Would it surprise anyone to know that with a little bit of ingenuity, Enola does both? First, she inspects the room, making a startling discovery about its contents. After spending several minutes gathering information crucial to the case, Enola knows she can't waste any more time. She has to find a way to get out. And she does, making a run for it in the middle of the night to the edge of the grounds where Sherlock is just trying to figure out how to get past the imposing gate. Once again, brother and sister reunite, and Enola shares everything she has learned and her new suspicions based on the information she now carries with her. If her instincts are right, and they usually are, then Felicity isn't dead at all. She's being held hostage somewhere, all with the Earl's permission. Sherlock listens to his sister and agrees with some of her assumptions. He fills her in on some of the information he's gathered as well, and the detective siblings decide they need to confirm some of their guesswork before making their next move, because the next one will probably have to be the big one. Enola and Sherlock conduct, 
conduct more interviews, including one they didn't expect at all of Dr. Watson. Then comes the time for their plan of action, which will require disguises, manpower, Dr. Watson agrees to join the group, as does Tukey and even Letty, and the boldest stroke of all, going back to Dunhenge Hall a second time. If readers didn't think Enola was reckless before all this, they'll know it now. But that's what Enola does. She throws in all of her efforts and her energy to her cases because that's the only way to help people who have run out of resources. It's as much about getting justice for those who need her help as it is teaching villains a lesson. When it comes to Cadogan Burr Rudcliffe II, Earl of Dunhenge, he definitely needs to learn one. And if anyone can put that kind of plan into motion, it's Enola Holmes, because her recklessness is not only part of her charm, it's essential to her character. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Biblio Breakdown, a RightsCast Network original podcast, now appearing here on my author site. Thanks for listening, and a huge thank you to my on-air sponsor, Kill Your Darlings Candle Company, where you can find candles for the wordsmiths of the world. For more information on these great candles, visit kydcandleco.com. That's kydcandleco.com. If you want to talk books or writing or need help with editing your manuscript, you can reach me at The Right Edge. That's W-R-I-T-E, therightedge.wordpress.com. That's therightedge.wordpress.com. Or find me on Instagram and Twitter with my handle at EkthaRGarg. That's E-K-T-A-R-G-A-R-G on Instagram and Twitter. Look for more episodes of Biblio Breakdown in every month that has five Fridays. New episodes will appear on the fifth Friday of those months, which means the next episode will air on October 29th, 2021. Thanks again for listening. Until we meet again, this is Ekta Garg, reviewer, editor, author, and dreamer of stories, reminding you to be a little reckless from time to time.